0: Wapak Naz is Love People Loving People to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Nas to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. And uh, typically this is where we would go ahead and pass the plates and that's probably going to be a past time, um, but if you would like to, to give, um, to worship the Lord through your offering, we, we give out of, out of what God has given us, not out of what we do not have. We give out of what God has given, and so there are joy boxes at the exit, and you can also go to um and uh, go ahead and give online as well, and just continue to step in obedience uh, with that. Uh, with the Lord, and so, uh, good morning. It is it, it really it is good being back with you um, today. And so, um, last week you you wrapped up the series called Dangerous Prayers. Um, this week we we start a new series, and it's a it's a short one. It's a three parter. It'll last the month of of October, and it's called Pulse. And this series uh, comes straight out of First Timothy. Uh, so if you want to pull out your phones, uh, you want to pull uh, out your Bible, if you happen to have your Bible, um, to First Timothy chapter 4. Um, and we're going to focus on verse 12, but um, as you're doing that, I, I want to give a disclaimer. So the following, what I am about to say, uh, is neither a promotion, a pandering, an endorsement, or a commercial for what I'm about to say, Uh, and for the product that I'm about to share, as neither I have one nor want one. I don't want one. I never want one. Um, But the following is merely drawing your attention to sermonize and be a metaphor. All right? So just let you know. Have you noticed the Apple 6 watch? The Apple Series 6 watch? You've got one? Do you have one? Exactly. The Apple Watch. If you've ever seen these commercials, it just is really intriguing to me. This thing that's on your wrist. Like it it's it's gone beyond Apple 4 and Apple 5. Apple 6 is pretty amazing, right? It, I mean it's better than the two-way wrist radio that Dick Tracy had in the comic books. I mean it's pretty amazing. I mean the list here it it tracks your sleep and your sleep schedule like i know many of you are about to nod off right now but it tracks you're nodding off and in fact it it, it'll track your elevation like the elevation that you're in and if you in fact fall have a decent fall from that elevation it will literally call nine one one for you that's awesome but not only that, again, this is not a promotion or endorsement or a commercial for, right? It also determines and assesses the noise level in your surrounding, the decibel level. It will assess whether or not you are in a surrounding that is too loud for your eardrums. That's pretty cool. Not only that, wait for it, there's more. It gauges your heart rate and informs you whether your heart rate is too low or too high. And, and it actually, with infrared laser, will detect your ECG, electrocardiogram or graph. Now, when I was a kid, a digital watch from Seiko was pretty cool. And it would die like a year later. This thing measures almost anything. It will track you. It will tell you how far you've traveled. And then some. It will tell you, you need to get up off your derriere and move. Now, here's the thing. And this is why I'm sermonizing with this metaphor. Apple... Apple has capitalized on what is innate and inerrant to humanity. We love to track things. We love it. We are meaning hungry individuals. Our brains want to know the meaning. It's why we ask the question, why? We want to know, all of the things that we learned in English class that you didn't pay attention to you still want it you want to know who what where when how why why not why it's happening if it's happening is if it's good or if it's bad and if it's bad how do we fix it how do we change it how do we make it better if it's if it's good we want to know how to make it better but we also want to make what's better Better than what it was before and greater so it becomes best. And when it becomes best, we want to figure out how to make it even bester. If that's a word. Congratulations it is now. You want to know. You are hungry for the answers. You track everything. You didn't realize that you were like, unofficial CPAs and accountants. But really, you are. You are analytical to the nth degree. You assess people that you've never ever met in less than a blink of an eye. We are hungry for information. However, in the church, in our faith and in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have this tendency to feel like spiritual health, well-being, and growth cannot be measured. How can you measure something like a belief? And for years, the church has touted, you can't measure that thing. It's faith. You just Have it or you don't. I wish I knew really early that I can determine whether I am spiritually well, spiritually moving forward or stagnant, or I'm dying on the inside just a little bit each day. I wish I would have known but I didn't and it left for a lot of ambiguity and vagueness and it just kind of made me kind of feel like I was meandering quite often like I really knew that I was doing but I wasn't sure if I was and what eventually ends up happening since we're meaning hungry individuals we start to measure our growth and our well-being and our spiritual health with some of the wrong indicators for instance we often think that church attendance means you're growing spiritually that means you're connected to god if i'm in the pew i'm good and everybody else knows i'm good but the fact is not everybody who's in the pew is following jesus christ which is the way it's supposed to be, right? We'd really love people who aren't following Christ to be inside and button in seat. But if we tend to think that church attendance is really the only thing that marks our spiritual growth, then we're missing something. The other thing, five-minute devotional. I did not do my devotion today. Oh, boy. God's going to get me. He's up there with his celestial spreadsheet, marking it down. Ambrose, you didn't do it today. I literally felt like that as a very new Christian. That if I didn't read the Bible that day, God was going to get me. It's not the case. Now, are those good indicators? Probably. Are those good things? Yes, definitely. Do we desire to have you in the pew? Absolutely. Is the pew, is are you important in the pew? Absolutely. Your presence is important. But more so your participation in your investment is important as well we want to move you from good to better to best right investment of you your talents your skills your abilities your heart your encouragement that's the body of christ working we also begin to gauge our spiritual well-being If we don't have any indicators, we want to find the meaning. We want to know if we're progressing. So we'll tend to gauge it by our circumstances. If life is good, I'm spiritually good. I'm healthy. I'm well. If life is bad, it's just bad. I am far from God. He is nowhere near me. You ever felt like that? Circumstances are also like Emotions. If I feel good, if I'm happy today, I'm spiritually well. I'm connected to God. And we're close. We're like best friends. Peas and carrots. But if I'm emotionally down and depressed, Christians aren't supposed to be depressed. Ah, well, then I'm not close to God. Well, in fact, Christians are depressed sometimes. What's happening outside the walls also happens inside the walls because why? We're human, right? The indicators, we need to find some real strong indicators as to am I growing? Am I, am I alive? Am I growing? Am I healthy? Is there spiritual health happening? Or am I starting to slow and part from the Lord without even knowing it. 23 years ago, I wish I knew that I can gauge that a little bit. I can see some indicators in my life. And so, this whole series is about vital signs. It's taking your pulse, your spiritual pulse. Now, everybody, take your two fingers on your left hand and with on your right wrist try to find your pulse because i'm not sure if you have one right now <laughs> well nope there it is you got it you can literally feel your pulse on many parts of your body your feet right under right there in your chin you can feel it here and you actually have it in your thumb like don't ever try to take your pulse with your thumb because then it's going to be odd. You're not going to know whether or not somebody's alive or not. But health workers, healthcare workers, are trained with understanding vital signs. Your body temperature, um, your heart rate, all those things to tell whether or not you're alive, surviving, or if you're thriving, and if they can disconnect you to all the machines and send you home. This whole month, we want to provide you with some practical basics i told matthew we're gonna we're gonna do the kiss method do you know what the kiss method is keep it simple (laughs) that really hurt because i was gonna say keep it simple Stephen. (laughs) let me take a moment Because actually, the, the first first indicator, the first indicator is speech, is your words, our words, and your words really just hurt me, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I know, suck it up buttercup, so let's jump in and dive in, and yes, I will do my best to keep it simple, okay, um, I have a tendency to not, and I'm really sorry if I don't. But let's try to keep it simple. So jump in, we're going to dive into 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. If you don't have scripture um, in front of you, it will be on the screen. And this is the verse. And don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. But Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And if you're anywhere, if you're cognizant at any level, you will see the sermon series laid out before you in in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. These are our indicators so this week we're going to unpack them but I, I kind of need to give a little context here so that you're kind of aware real quick Timothy uh, was a mentee of Paul the apostle we meet Paul the apostle chapter 7 very end of chapter 7 in Acts and Paul at that time was called Saul and he was a Christian killer he was offing and arresting Christians who believed in Jesus yet God got a hold of Paul and transformed Paul, and Paul began to church plant. He began to go throughout the Roman world, travel the Roman world, and he began to evangelize, speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, share the love of Christ, all while being a tent maker and working, and then all the while pulling people into his team. On his second church plant journey, Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, you can look it up. He meets a man called Timothy. Timothy was raised in a Jewish and Greek home. But he also saw the faith of his mother and his grandmother. And by the time Paul meets Timothy, Timothy is a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul invites Tim. Here's an opportunity, Tim. Come along. This is what we're doing. There was no lightning bolt. Tim didn't have to have a a period of prayer. He just took the opportunity. Sometimes you just got to seize opportunity. So Tim started on the journey with Paul and Silas and this guy by the name of Luke who wrote Luke and Acts, but also Titus. So we have this band of brothers that are going amongst the Roman world church-planting. Paul saw something in Timothy. Paul actually saw himself in Timothy. Paul was not only a Roman citizen but he was Jewish. Paul saw that in Timothy. Not only was he had a Greek father but a Jewish mother. They kind of bonded, they connected. and so Timothy put or Paul put his arm around Timothy and raised Timothy up a little bit. And then he became such a trusted confidant to, of Paul's that Paul would just send them out. Hey, go and do the dirty jobs. Go to the places that are really risky. Go have the difficult conversations. You have to confront some some dissension and discord within the church. You might actually have to kind of cast somebody out of the church because they're doing things that even those in the world wouldn't do. And so Timothy was a man of dirty jobs. From the time that he met Paul... He was a young man. And here we see Paul writing, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. We have this idea that Timothy is this, still this young buck. And quite frankly, he's not a young buck. He's not a 20-something anymore. He's probably in his early to mid-30s. And Paul, writing this letter, is currently in prison. He didn't have any of the Gideons to talk to at that point, apparently. Apparently. But Paul was writing Timothy. This is about 11 or 12 years later from when Timothy and Paul first met. Timothy is now pastoring a church. He's leading a church. A church that he helped Paul plant. It's called Ephesus. We have a book called the Ephesians written by Paul to a place and a group of people that he met before. And he told Timothy... Beware of the false believers and the false teachers. There were teachers that were older than Timothy, that were teaching not good things. They were misdirecting the congregation. And they were ageist. There was ageism before today. Did you know that? Ageism is not new. And ironically, it's quite old. That was a good joke, yes. Yes quite old they were taking their age and looking down on Timothy that he couldn't teach because he was a young guy hadn't been around but then Paul said hey step into it you need to step into the authority that I've given you and that you have from Christ don't let anybody look down on you but for everybody in the body everybody in the church you need to set the example and literally, he says, you need to be the imprint. So think in terms of coins being minted. Now, we've got to look back all the way to the first century. Coins that were minted actually were minted and pounded with the image of an emperor or a ruler. That image would pop up off the coin, and you could see it. Paul literally said, be the imprint that is on their life. Set the pattern for them. Be that pattern that they pattern their lives after. And this is the first thing that I want you to do. I want you to be the imprint in their life by the words that you say. By what you don't say. And if it were in the 21st century, Paul would say, By what you post, and what you don't post. What you snap, what you insta. Your words have weight and power. They have influence. And, even if you don't think they have power and influence they will very easily and quickly divide and be divisive. They will quickly put people at an arm's length, if not out of the room and out of the church, very fast. They will no longer enter your church. Set the example with the words. Now I said, let's keep it simple, Stephen. Stephen. All right, keep it simple. Give you an example. There was a woman that was a part of a program. It was a mentor program. Who would go into elementary schools. And they would meet those individuals. And the first thing that they wanted to do and make sure that they knew, which I was teaching Michael to do earlier today, was when you meet those individuals. You want to get their name. Ask their name. Names are important. And so the woman met her mentee for the first time, a little girl. And she asked, What is your name? And the little girl stood and stared and would not say anything. It's okay, sweetie. This is my name. What is yours? Would not give her her name sweetie what what do people call you idiot that's the name she gave because that's the name people called her idiot words have weight words have power words have influence words create culture We've said it here many times. Language creates culture. The more you repeat a phrase, whether to yourself, to an individual, or to an organization, the more that phrase seeps into the individual or the organization. Then the individual or the organization begins to repeat and Believe that phrase. Language creates culture. And for this little girl, created our identity. But here's the other thing about language language that creates culture personifies the culture that's within us. The language and the words that we speak come from the culture that's on the inside of us. I've been often asked in various ways, various ways, is the mouth and what I say a spiritual issue? Jesus answers that question. Jesus doesn't wear the shirt. I love me. And spout curse words. It just doesn't. In fact, he says, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him or her unclean. It is what comes out of the mouth. That is what makes him unclean. In fact, he says, for out of the overflow of his or her heart, The mouth speaks. Jesus says our mouth is a spiritual issue. Why is it a spiritual issue? I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. How many careless words were spoken to that little girl? For by your words you will be acquitted, freed. There's another way to look at that. By your words you will be freed. And by your words you will be condemned. Words have weight, words have power. Language creates culture and they reflect the culture inside of you. They are the content of our character. Our words are the content of our character. Our posts are the content of our character. What we say, what we don't say, how we say them, why we say them, with the tone that we say them. Proverbs is filled, filled to the brim of wisdom. Jesus connects what we say to our heart. Proverbs says, He or she, he who guards his lips, guards his life. Why? Because above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your heart is life. It should be life. He who guards his lips, guards his life. In fact, just had a convers. i've had several conversations this week why is the mouth a spiritual issue because what we speak comes out of our heart and we also need to understand what gets into our heart we invite in we invite in i always told my students Poopy goes in, poopy comes out. What you put in you will eventually come out of you. I'm not talking food here, folks. (laughs) All right? I'm talking media. I'm talking moments and experiences that you've had in your past that people have actually put into you. Music. Lyrics, whatever you put in you will eventually come out of you in many, many, many different facets and forms. If you're putting in what Paul tells us to put in, for whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Because what you think on, what you process, what you mull over, over and over and over again will eventually come out of you. Paul was very aware of that. The lips of the righteous nourish many. fools, Fools die for lack of judgment. And in fact, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinions. Whoa. Back the truck up. You mean my opinions aren't fact? That's a fact, Jack. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing their own opinions. Why? Because they don't want to listen. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Do you see A man who speaks in haste, knee-jerk reaction, talks before he thinks. I've been there, trust me. I've done it many times. There is more hope for a fool than for him. Folks, Scripture, Jesus, they connect our mouth to our spiritual well-being. What we say, what we don't say, how we say it. To whom do we say it? Why do we say it? It's all connected. It's all a spiritual issue. I stand before you as an individual that struggled with his mouth. Because every other word started with an F. It did. And then followed by a lot of other four letter words. And I was a believer. I followed Jesus. That was the hardest thing in my life to get a hold of, and I still have a problem sometimes. I will say things that, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I did that a few weeks ago right here in front of you. I didn't curse. But I probably I said a joke that I probably shouldn't have said, and then I came back and I apologized for it. Your words have weight. Your words have power. Language creates culture and they reflect the culture on the inside of you. They mirror your heart. Keep it simple, Stephen. So, how does this act as a gauge? How does our mouth act as a gauge? Well, remember, your mouth is connected to your heart and your heart and your mouth are connected to your mind. 18 inches, head to heart, And about in the middle is your mouth, nine inches. Right? They're all connected. So what are you saying about you? What are you thinking about you? What are you saying about other people? How are you saying things to other people? Are you quick? Are you rash? Are you harsh? Are you cutting? Are your words like knives? Do you leave carnage all over the place? Do you speak in haste? Do you speak without thinking, without processing, without filtering? These are questions, there's a lot of questions that we can ask ourselves. If our speech, if our words are setting a pattern and an image, that we want other people to follow. Just like parents and their kids, kids will pick up everything you say especially when they're like three, four, and five. But they will also make you aware of the things you said because they say it, and you're like, where did you hear that? I heard it from you. Oh, man. That's a very classic example of how you figure out if you're spiritually healthy and you're well. It's a very clear example. So keep it simple, right? So we're going to end with these two scriptures. Paul says this. Therefore, each of you, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Allow the truth to lie open. Speak truthfully to his neighbor. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But, but what is wholesome or what is helpful, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Folks, your tongue is the most powerful weapon that you have. Your tongue, and kind of your fingers. Now, you can post it, right? What you say, the tongue that's in your mouth, is so powerful. It can destroy your character, your reputation, your life, in an instant. How many times have we seen that in the course of the last two years? Publicly. Publicly. But it also can build up. It can encourage It can love. It can bring wisdom. So, tool number one, vital sign number one, take the pulse, your words. Are they building? Are they encouraging? Are they good, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, godly? Are they creating division? Just take an assessment of your words this week and i encourage you to guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life will you please stand just bow your head for just a second we're going to keep it simple yes stephen keep it simple stephen just bow your heads for just a moment Father, I I just really hope and pray today that we as a people of God, we as a church, as a body, as individuals, whether we believe you or not, we're very aware of the power of our tongue and the words that we say and the words that we don't say. We hope and pray that what we do say benefits those who listen. That pulls together rather than divides. That builds up and lifts up and encourages. That brings other people to you. Father, help us take a a stock of everything that we say. And Lord, if there's something inside of us that needs worked on, Lord, show it to us. Back to what David said. Search me and show me any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead us in the way of everlasting. Jesus, we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the Word of God. Amen. Hey. Thank you for listening to the Nas podcast. We hope you were moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.